It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The Locked On NBA Fantasy Minute is presented by Price Picks. Price Picks is the most fun you can have playing daily fantasy basketball and winning up to 25 times your money. Go to pricepicks.com slash locked on NBA and use the code locked on NBA for a first deposit match up to $100. We are very much in the thick of the fantasy basketball playoffs. You might be starting it this week, you might be already in it, it might be a week away. And at this point of the year, with only five weeks left in the entire regular season, Playing the schedule is the most important thing. So this week, the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Los Angeles Lakers play two games only. So any fringe players you have from those teams, even guys, yes, like Kyle Anderson replacing Kyle Anthony Towns, that's not worth it with two games on. You need to be stacking extra games and you need to be looking at the teams with four games. You need to be looking at teams with games early in the week and then switching them out for teams with more games later in the week. Get more games in, play the schedule, be cutthroat with injuries and get players in to get yourself success for fantasy basketball. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. One for three. One for three or yeah, one and that's two? That's what I meant. One for three. Oh, one for three. Yeah, that's what I meant. <laughs> USC, baby. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to episode number 712 of Locked on Raptors for Friday, May the 8th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com and uh, Basketball, a brand new podcast you can go check out on the Stringer Labs Podcast Network. Today's podcast is brought to you by Built Bar, which is sponsoring the entire network for the month of March. Built Bar is great. This morning I had the mint chocolate brownie for breakfast and it was fantastic. Go check it out at BuiltBar.com. More on them later. Of course, uh, the Locked on Podcast Network has a lot of great stuff for you right now as well. You can go and uh, subscribe to any number of our shows covering all the big four sports as well as the NCAA Power 5 conferences and uh, get some daily or at least three days a week right now as we go through the sportsless hell world. But still, the stuff that's coming out on the network is uh, not reflective of the hell outside. It's uh, really, really wonderful. There's lots of great deep dives on old teams, greatest of all time teams. I was on an episode of Locked on Leafs this week where we talked about TSN's all-time Leaf roster which was a lot of fun, so you can go check that out if you're a Leafs fan. And uh, please, again, subscribe to, rate, and reviews all of the shows that you want to support. It's very much appreciated, especially at this horrible, horrible time. Uh, things aren't that bad. Things are doing all right. We're, we're, we're trudging along here on the podcast. And uh, joining me today to talk about a couple things. First, some breaking news, and then a basketball game that was not especially good, but sure was entertaining in a very sort of sadistic way. It is our pal, the Gargantuan V himself. It is Big V, Vivek Jacob. What's up, buddy? Wow. I don't know that uh, Gargantuan <laughs> V hits quite the same. No. <laughs> Maybe over the next few times you're on the podcast, I'll try out different synonyms and see if anything works quite like Big V. I don't think anything will, but... Maybe I'll see. It'll be my version of Joe Wolfon coming up with new greetings every time they start an episode of Pound the Rock. <laughs> How are you, buddy? Yeah, man. I'm good. I'm good. I'm uh, keeping busy, watching a whole bunch of shows, watching some movies, um, catching up with Bianca Andrescu, catching up on you doing all your big things, talking to Alvin Williams and starting up a podcast. And Yeah, man. Lots of good stuff going around. 
Yeah, it's a. I was feeling a little bit blue early in the week. I think the uh, prolonged nature of the lockdown is it was maybe getting to me, but I'm feeling a little bit better. This has been a good week, and uh, lots of nice people on the internet. Some Serbian fans of the new podcast were getting in the mentions of Katie and I today. So shouts to Serbia, I guess, uh, the number one Balkan country. Maybe I shouldn't be ranking Balkan countries. That seems fraught. Uh, so all the Balkans are great. Uh, love them all. They rule. Uh, <laughs> anyway, let's get off of that now let's talk about uh before we get into the meat of today's show which is going to be the game four of the raptors series against the brooklyn nets in 2014 last week we re-aired the episode from the patreon feed with myself and josh Howe breaking down game seven but game four warranted a deeper discussion per our guest today it was kind of a dealer's choice situation with the game you wanted to talk about he chose game four of that first round series against brooklyn we'll talk about that in great depth later on uh, but first, let's uh, dive into the breaking news of the day in that the Ontario government has allowed sports teams in Toronto, or I guess the province, to open up their facilities to specified circumstances for players to come in for singular workouts. Uh, the case with the Raptors is as follows. Basically, they're allowed one person at a time to do individual workouts all, at, all, at all times. Everyone who's there between the one coach who's allowed in the staff who are on hand at this at the facility and the player when they're not on the court have to be wearing masks there's temperature tests being taken as they enter the facility i think 99.1 is the sweet spot for the temperature if it's over that you can't go in and uh i guess we revisit quarantine and things like that for those people as well um no weight room stuff like that just shooting drills basically and it sounds like about half of the raptors are actually in toronto most of those guys seem on board with taking part in the voluntary workouts all of it is voluntary. There is no mandated uh, you know, requirement to come in and play. Obviously, some guys are still abroad. We know Terrence Davis is down in Mississippi with his family. We know a few guys. I think Dewan Hernandez is in Miami, and other guys are scattered about. Fred Van Vliet in Rockford, Illinois, etc., etc. Vivek, you were on the conference call today with Bobby Webster talking about this. Uh, I don't know. What are your thoughts? Are you? Does this change your outlook on whether or not we're going to see basketball again? Does it make it uh, more promising? Does it make it less promising because of all the very strict regulations that are in place? Uh, what are you thinking in the wake of this news this morning? Uh, it's definitely encouraging that uh, the players can go back to the training facilities, obviously, again, one at a time. Uh, though Bobby Webster, you know, Based on what he said in the conversation, it looks like they want to treat the early stages as an information gathering process because the NBA has stipulated that it can be up to four. Um, but they've, based on the information they've received so far, I think they want to just see how it goes with one player. And then if everything's okay, then maybe up that to two and then maybe three and then maybe four. Um and so I, I like that approach that they're taking, safety first, and, uh, you know, let's work our way uh, up as opposed to sort of just taking whatever the NBA gives us and um, and then dealing with whatever comes after that. So uh, I think they're being really smart about it. Uh, as far as the big picture in terms of uh, the NBA having a resumption, I think um, it's going to be very difficult to see anything happening uh, within the next 90 days at least and then you have to look at w what the owners are willing to do for the 2021 season because you would assume if it goes beyond the three months uh, then you have to shorten the regular season for the season that, that's to come after that uh, I don't think there's any way at this point you uh, can resume the regular season i think from now on if there is a conclusion to this existing season then it's got to be straight into the playoffs whether it's you know best of threes whether it's a tournament style you know knockout uh whatever it may be i don't think we, we'll see a regular season at all but you know if it comes to say if you can get a tournament in uh you know september october uh november whatever it may be um then I think that's the more likely route. Yeah, I think the regular season dream is certainly dead. And I also, I, I mean, all of the different steps and hurdles, the, the, I mean, the list of different regulations that are under the Raptors, at least, at OVO Center, like, it, it just, there's so many, and they, it just, 
I think amplifies the logistical concern that any return is going to present. And this is just for one city where things aren't necessarily that bad in comparison. Yeah, Toronto's one of the hotspots in Canada, but overall, Canada has done a pretty good job, I think, of flattening the curve and managing it overall. Whereas the states, just because their insane-ass governments are opening up and you know forcing the economy back open, that does not mean things are good and rosy and that like the border should be opened anytime soon. Like They're an absolute uh, tire fire down, st- down, down south right now. And I think the fact that Mark Cuban earlier this week went on record saying just because Texas is opening up doesn't mean we're going to send our guys back. Like we're not. And if Mark Cuban is the voice of reason, that's problematic to me. And it just, I think, I think kind of in the opposite way is, you know, the NBA was the first league to shut things down. And they've been kind of of setting the pace and leading a little bit here in terms of, you know, what sports leagues are doing. It seems like once they do something, everyone else kind of follows and complies. I really think the NBA is probably going to be the last league back here because I think they're the ones who are going to exercise the most caution. Yes, they have maybe the most to lose in terms of TV money just because their contract is so enormous and it's such a big chunk of the basketball-related income. But I just feel like sports like baseball and hockey and football, which clearly just continues on as though nothing is going on in the world and it's very unsettling, I think those sports are going to be the ones that kind of test the waters first and take advantage of any sort of lax restrictions in states that maybe should not have lax restrictions where I think the NBA is going to kind of just play it by their own drum a little bit and say, well, yeah, this is dumb and bad. We're not going to uh, sacrifice the safety of our players just because the government says it's okay. And, and so I think the NBA is probably the last to come back here. And I think the most likely thing still is that the NBA is just not going to finish. And that sucks. It's a bummer, but I just, they seem to have, cooler heads about all of this than everybody else who's in such a rush to bring things back and if it takes this much to get one guy into a single practice facility i don't even want to think about all of the hurdles they're gonna have to jump through and the testing you know limits they're gonna have to reach to have any sort of you know hub cities or disney world or anything like that uh so if anything today's news almost makes me less optimistic that basketball is going to come back but it's nice at least that we have something reopening that's positive i suppose and it's nice that raptors are taking it seriously and, and gathering as much information as possible as you'd probably expect the raptors would do um i don't know any last lingering thoughts on this before we move on to the fun stuff uh no i, th- I think we've covered most of it i i think the, i think the only thing i would add is <clears throat> you know so much of this is contingent on when the vaccine comes out right and yeah um you look at I, I think i think the fastest vaccine that's ever come out has been 14 months uh but i don't think we've had the world sort of working in unison to find a vaccine like we do right now and so i think that will improve the timeline. You, you look at some of the restrictions they've removed in terms of trying to figure something out. Um, I think that should reduce, I think it, it, this will be much shorter than the 14 month uh, period. So I think that's something that I would look at as a potential positive. Um, but yeah, ideally, I don't think you're looking at, you know, a real push to get everything back on track uh, without a vaccine. Uh, and, you know, it is some contingencies in terms of uh, treatments uh, for people who do uh, have the virus. Yeah, I mean, I certainly believe in human innovation, especially when uh, the economy is on the line, uh, <laughs> cynically. But uh, I agree. I think it's going to be kind of vaccine or bust for things to get back to normal, at least. And I just... I think the NBA is going to realize at some point here, like, what are we doing? The NHL right now, I mean, like, they are just trying everything, throwing a million ideas at the wall. And I was tuning in today uh, to, like, SportsCenter, and they were talking about how the NHL is already planning for a second wave and what to do when that happens. And it's like, if you're already planning for the second wave, maybe don't do something that's going to encourage the second wave to take place. Like, it's just... It's all very uh, very depressing, but I'm glad the NBA seems to be handling things well, and hopefully better news comes out of this and we're being negative Nellies. Uh, let's continue on. Let's get into the fun stuff. In just a second, we are going to talk about Raptors Nets Game 4 from 2014, but first I want to tell everybody about Built Bar, which is the best-tasting protein bar quite literally ever 
Protein bars are great. They taste wonderful. It's a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. They have 16 amazing flavors, 8 chocolate nut flavors, and 8 chocolate nut free flavors. As I said off the top, I had the mint chocolate brownie this morning, and it was wonderful. The toffee almond is my favorite so far, and it kind of just tastes like a Mars bar. I think there's a lot of protein bars out there that are very gritty and sandy, or you have to like heat up in the microwave just to get down your gullet. Whereas if you're eating a, a, a built bar, it's just like a candy bar that's got a little bit of chew to it, and it's lovely. They're also pretty healthy for you. It's a great bar for the health, consci- health conscious person. Lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. Bars are low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber. And just for an example, the peanut butter brownie flavor has 20 grams of protein, 170 calories, 3 grams of sugar, and 3 grams of net carbs. And the mint brownie has 15 grams of protein, just 110 calories, 5 grams of sugar, and 5 grams of net carbs. And a built bar has seven times less sugar than a cliff bar. That's seven times. That's ridiculous. So uh, next time you're thinking about cheat, uh, sneaking a treat, built bar is the one. Go to builtbar.com and use the promo code locked on. You'll get $10 off your first order. Use the promo code locked on at builtbar.com for $10 off your first order. Thank you to Built Bar for sponsoring the podcast. <laughs> Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com podcast. Easier said, done. All right, Big V, let's get into Raptors-Nets Game 4, 2014. Uh, A truly, truly ugly basketball game. Let's set the stage. The Raptors are down 2-1 after dropping the first game back in Brooklyn after splitting the first two at home. Of course, they lost Game 1, win Game 2, lose Game 3. And it's not been particularly easy going for the Raptors in this series so far. Uh, You know, lots of turnovers. That was sort of the main thing coming into the game. I think the Raptors through the first three games, had 25 more turnovers than the Nets. And as Marv Albert and Steve Kerr, who was on the broadcast, which is pretty funny, we're talking about, it was, you know, just a lot of very clear inexperience and youth for the Raptors that was showing through. They were complaining about the referees and the calls. The Raptors fans were upset about calls because I think it was their first introduction to playoff basketball in a very long time. And you forget that things are a little bit more tough and gritty and you're playing against Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce. So things are going to be a little bit uh, chippy, I'm sure. And so we come into the game. The Raptors end up winning this game 87-79. It is not pretty. The Raptors score 35 points in the first quarter and uh, score 52 for the remainder of the game. They go a 12-minute stretch between the second and third quarters where they only score eight total points. It's not, it's not pretty. Big V, for you watching this game, and we'll get into sort of how the result took place in the latter half of the game, uh, but what was your biggest takeaway from just the whole experience of rewatching this one? I thought it was interesting that... Um especially looking at the Nets, uh, even though they were playing small with, you know, uh, with Brooke Lopez injured and then having to <clears throat> go smaller, they, they were still playing extremely slow. And it's incredible that this is just six years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's still so entirely different from the even the playoff basketball that we see now. And uh, so I, I thought that was probably my biggest takeaway. The Raptors, again, very much a half-court team. Uh, both teams didn't really um, have much in, in transition. Uh, obviously, the Nets were able to take care of the Raptors' uh, turnovers uh, in the first three games. But yeah, in terms of uh, the big takeaways, you you kind of see how dependent this team was on Lowry and Rosen. You talked about that stretch between the second and the third quarter um, when they went one for sixteen. So Lowry's really hurt in this game. Uh, at one point, there was a reporter 
who confirmed that he had a stitch in his lip. He was playing through a right knee injury that was getting that had that needed treatment around the clock before the game and was clearly getting treated during the game as well. Um, and apparently he had a cold too. So a lot of stuff that he was dealing with. And then DeMar Rosen, I thought his jumper was incredible in this game. Just didn't seem like he could miss. Um, but when when either of those two couldn't really get anything, um, no one else could really provide. Like Amir Johnson, you know, I know he had a productive game, but everything was uh, either through the pick and roll and, uh, you know, Vasquez setting him up or Lowry setting him up. And so, you know, the Raptors didn't really have another shot creator around uh, Lowry and DeRozan in this iteration of the team. Yeah, it was, uh, and especially I think the reason things fell off in the second half is because, you know, DeMar, to his credit, had a wonderful first half. He started off 7 of 10, he had 20 points in the first half, and he couldn't miss, but in the third quarter, they started double-teaming him, and he was lost, and I think we kind of saw... A lot of the things that would really plague him later in his career, yes, he refined his playmaking and his ability to diagnose traps and things like that in later seasons, and by the end, it was kind of his defense that was the number one fault in his game, but it was uh, really rough for him offensively in the second half of this one when they were sending two bodies his way. He just could not clear the two defenders with any sort of uh, quickness or speed, and the flow was really gummed up. And that was especially true when Kyle was missing that time. He not only not only was injured in this game, he had five fouls uh, for most of the fourth quarter when he was playing. Only played 34 minutes in what was pretty much a much must-win game for the team. And actually, Grievous Vasquez played 18 more seconds than he did in this game. Um, and I thought, Gre- we'll get to Grievous too, I thought he was pretty okay. I mean, he missed a bunch. He was 4 of 12 with 1 of 6 from 3, but he had 9 assists and a couple big shots late. Uh, and was really the only creation they had for stretches of this game. But, yeah, when things fell apart for DeMar, there was just nothing there. Like, there was just, it, it was so stagnant. It was, again, stuff you'd see later on as defenses would really scheme against him. And, I, I don't know, what did you think of DeMar in this game overall? Uh, this, to me, was at, at once a very, very good DeMar game and then a truly disastrous one in the second half. You kind of got both images of him in this one game. Yeah, I, I think uh, you're spot on with him handling the double teams. But again, you know, that is something that most uh, stars, when they're experiencing for, for the first time, they're just going to struggle yeah. through it, right? Like, you don't really see anyone sort of <laughs> face a double team for the first time and be like, oh, yeah, I can pick this apart easily. <laughs> um, uh, so, uh, yeah, they, they, you're, it was almost, you know, it, it's almost nice to see the beginning stages of Demar and sort of appreciate that, and then, and then all of a sudden, uh, you know, I think it's important we highlight at the end of the game he um, draws two offensive fouls that are huge clutch mm-hmm. plays uh, down the stretch that help seal the win for the Raptors. Um, so you know, it seems like sort of as he took on a more of an offensive load, the defense sort of dissipated. Um, not to say that he was a good defender, but I think he was at least still passable at this stage um and yeah and then again you go back to the playmaking uh Lowry sort of having to deal with it not just the injury but foul trouble um pretty much played I want to say the last seven eight minutes of the fourth with five fouls um and and then you know I, I think we have to give a lot of credit to both Grievous Vasquez and Amir Johnson uh Vasquez with his playmaking hit a couple of big shots uh, and then Amir Johnson I thought you know the pick and roll uh, just being a consistent option and finishing inside and then even cleaning up his own misses uh, the Raptors were definitely undersized in this one you could see uh, on the wing they really had no one that could match up with Joe Johnson oh my God. Uh, and then even even inside you know uh, they were really str- struggling this was probably the first time in that series uh, that Jonas Valanciunas struggled, uh, which I guess was a bit odd to see, but it seemed like they got under his skin. The physicality maybe uh, like got to him a little bit uh, more uh, than you'd expect. Yeah, the the wing defense and just like the size on the wing was a really noticeable thing. And Steve Kerr made a note of this early on. And uh, God, Steve Kerr was great in this game, and it was really funny when they were talking about him meeting with Phil Jackson and Marv Alberts basically harassing him, like, oh, what, you met with, uh, you met with Phil, huh? What happened there? <laughs> it was a fun little part of the first quarter broadcast, but 
Um, he made note did that. You, did you catch the halftime part? I did not. I skipped through that. Uh, but what what what, okay, what happened there? Because Marv tried to bring it up again, <laughs> and you could see Steve Kerr visibly upset. Because um, he, he was just trying to egg him on and egg him on, and then Steve Kerr was like, "What do we?" Uh, you know, and he's like. Uh, and I think Marv Albert sort of finished his question with like, oh, so where are things at? And he was obviously referring to, uh, at the time, Steve Kerr's meeting with Phil Jackson in New York to potentially uh, take uh, the Knicks job. And Steve Kerr is like, where are we at with the game? Is, are we not talking about that? Like, <laughs> and so, yeah, it was a nice little awkward moment to catch. And this is, of course, at but the anyway, time. Continue. Yeah, yeah. This is, of course, at the time where the Warriors are playing that uh, crazy ass series with the Clippers with the Donald Sterling thing going on. Well, I think this is like one of my favorite first rounds ever. This is the one where like five, five series went to seven. It was awesome. Anyway, we are going to get back to what Steve Kerr was saying about the Toronto Raptors' wing defense and so much more from Game Four of that 2014 series in just a second. But first, I want to tell you about Blinkist, which is the most useful app you're going to have on your phone. It's hard to find the time to sit down or to read and learn more, especially right now. Yes, you're at home, you're self-isolating, but you've got kids to deal with, you've got your cooking and meal prep and everything. You've got chores, you've got Zoom calls out the wazoo, and it's hard to sit down and work on personal development. There's an incredible app, though, that solves this problem, and I highly recommend it. It is called Blinkist. Blinkist is really unique, and it works on your phone, your tablet, or your web browser. Blinkist takes the best key takeaways, the need-to-know info, from thousands of nonfiction books and condenses them down into just 15 minutes that you can read or listen to. Successful people like business leaders are well known for how many books they read. Blinkist is made for busy people like you who want to get the main points of a book quickly so you can start using that information today. And with its audio feature, Blinkist makes it easy to finish a book during your commute, on your lunch break, while you exercise, while you're cooking, anything you're doing around the house. 12 million people are using Blinkist right now and it has a massive and growing library from self-help, business and health to history books. Blinkist has the latest titles from the bestsellers list as well as the classic nonfiction titles you always meant to read but you never had time to get to also you can do it like i said anywhere you want in the house you can do it while you're exercising while you're playing video games you can double down and you can also get caught up on a lot of books that you just kind of overlooked or you just don't have the time to read the entire thing among the popular books include upheaval turning points for nations in crisis seems kind of apt right now by jared diamond you could go check that out there's also becoming by michelle obama which has i believe is becoming a netflix series there's also uh sports books as well you've got this is your brain on sports by john wertheim and sam summers and you've got tiger woods by jeff benedict with blinkist you get unlimited access to read or listen to a massive library of condensed nonfiction books all the books you want on all for one low price right now for a limited time blinkist has a special offer just for our audience go to blinkist.com nba to try it for free for seven days and save 25 percent off your new subscription that's blinkist spelled b-l-i I-N-K-I-S-T dot com slash NBA to start your free seven day trial and you'll save 25% off, but only when you sign up at Blinkist.com slash NBA. Wilson, you sent the game winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 455 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Uh, back yeah, to what Steve yeah. Kerr was saying. Like, he made note in, like, the first two minutes that the Raptors didn't have enough uh, wing defense to stop Joe Johnson, which story of the goddamn Raptors' life, apparently, uh, for their entire existence up until Kawhi. But... So that, that that lack of anyone who could kind of do it one-on-one forced them to double quite a bit. And well, I think the most surprising stat for me from this game is that Joe Johnson only had one assist. Because it felt like every time he was doubled, he was quickly picking that apart, and then something was happening good somewhere else on the floor. It must have been a lot of secondary assists for him, um, because it really seemed like the rotations... It was, it was really stark watching this Raptors team trap and try to recover... Versus this year's Raptors team, where they would do that just so wonderfully. You have Pascal flying out to the corners to, to swat threes, and there's just so much ground being covered 
this team did not have that length or just like the hustle to cover all that space. And when you're playing with two sort of cumbersome bigs in Amir and and Jonas, that kind of makes sense, I guess. Like there just was not enough length or speed to go and recover when they were sending those traps. And it was really stark considering what we've seen recently. Um, But I thought the fact that, especially in the middle part of the game where the Raptors were kind of losing it a little bit, I thought the the traps on Joe Johnson were were, were really causing a lot of the trouble because they just could not recover anywhere. Um, what, what else do you think went wrong for them as they, again, they start off the game 35-22 in the first quarter, and the second is okay to the, at the start of it, but they kind of slipped near the end, and in the third quarter, is something like a 22-4 to run that the Nets go on to take the lead? And it was, at that point, it felt like there was no way the Raptors were going to win this game, at least me watching it back. I know how it ended, but it just felt like everything was going Brooklyn's way, and the Raptors kind of felt almost scared. Like, it was like watching them play LeBron almost for a second. Obviously, they get it back, but what were your impressions of that middle portion of the game where things kind of slip? Yeah, I think it was more of what you talked about with that latter bit about just like losing composure, um, not being able to cope with the physicality and the Nets sort of, you know, with Pierce and KG sort of recognizing moments where they could, you know, enforce their will and like, you know, they're getting the crowd into it with certain stops or whatever it may be. Um, and the Raptors, I just thought handled it poorly. Like you saw, there was that little, um, sort of chippiness between Sean Livingston and, uh, Jonas Valanciunas, and then Valanciunas, you know, makes a couple of mistakes right after that, where you know he goes right into Paul Pearson, uh for the offensive foul, um, and then I think there was another turnover after that. But yeah, I think just early playoff lessons that you expect for any young team to sort of have to go through and struggle through, um, and again the outside shooting. You talk about spacing the floor. Well, you're, you're not going to have that with Jonas Valanciunas and Amir Johnson <laughs> together with uh, with the Rosen, right? And so I think that presented issues. I think you, you can see the desperation uh, for Dwayne Casey when he threw Steve Novak out there to start the fourth quarter. Uh, so yeah, I, th- I think that those sort of issues uh, were probably what hindered the team in that stretch. Yeah, the three-point shooting also amplified by the fact that my friend and confidant, Terrence Ross, uh, did not have a good game, and it bummed me out. I was wondering, did you pick this game expressly because Terrence Ross was bad and you were trying to torture me? Absolutely not. Um, (laughs) I had no idea that Terrence Ross had a bad game. I just, I, I remember... Um, that this just, uh, this being, you know, just a really big road win. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember, uh, you know, just Kyle sort of being strong to close this one out and DeMar having the hot start. So I thought it would be a fun game to look back on. What I didn't remember, and the, the broadcast reminded, was that this win ended a 13-game playoff losing streak yeah. for the Raptors. <laughs> so it's kind of a historic uh, game to look back on. Yeah, their first road win since the Sixers series in 2001. Uh, Although I was surprised that they had played that many road games between 2001 and uh, and this series. Like, that felt like a lot, considering they were first rounded out every time they made the playoffs. But uh, whatever, I'll take it, I suppose. Uh, (laughs) And so let's get into the guts of this game, which is, to use a term of Nick Nurse, who we saw in a cameo appearance in the first quarter when he was retrieving a loose ball that dribbled towards the bench. And I said, hey, Nick Nurse, he looks exactly the same as he does now. Um, just a little less confident and less guitar-y maybe. Um, but so we get to the fourth quarter. I believe it's tied at 67 going into the fourth. And it is uh, I, one of the things that really stood out to me in this game, and I tweeted about it earlier as a bit of a prelude to this podcast. The Raptors start the fourth quarter of a pivotal, just-about-must-win playoff game, and their lineup is Grievous Vasquez, DeMar DeRozan, John Sammons, Steve Novak, and Chuck freaking Hayes. And they roll with it for, like, three-plus minutes <laughs> as they try to hang on yeah, in this extremely was... close game. How are you feeling? Yes, you know how it ends, but maybe you remember back to when you saw this originally. I, I know I felt a ball of light in my stomach watching it, even with knowledge of the outcome. This was uh, a pretty hairy three and a half minutes. 
my goodness. I, I'm looking at this lineup like, what is Dwayne Casey trying to do here? Um, <laughs> and, you know, again, we, we talked about Steve Novak maybe trying to just get that three-point uh, three uh, shot going again for the Raptors. Uh, but, uh, yeah, we also got to mention that Amir Johnson uh, had five fouls. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there's definitely limitations to what his options were. But, yeah, that, that was definitely a scary period. Uh, you're thinking the Nets can run away with it here because, like you said, this was a pivotal game in the series. You go down 3-1 in your first sort of playoff series as a unit, uh, you're most likely not coming back from that. Um, and so you had, you had to get this win, I think. Um, he was, you know, obviously in hindsight now, you, you could say that Casey was sort of prepared to roll the dice for those three minutes and then again roll the dice with Amir and Kyle and them just playing the rest of the way with the five fouls and saying, hey, it, it, you know, it, if it wasn't meant to be, it wasn't meant to be. But, um, yeah, definitely an interesting gamble. Uh, was there a different lineup, uh, you know, based on the foul situation and everything that you would have gone to? Uh, I mean, I probably would have played Jonas. Just to be fair, when, when, Chuck, Hayes, when Chuck Hayes first uh, went uh you know came in for Amir mm-hmm. um I thought he actually gave them some pretty good minutes yeah I mean he was fine it was John Sammons was really bad in this game he you know had 18 minutes he didn't score he was 0 for 3 and the Novak choice was uh, particularly troubling considering I don't know when the last time Steve Novak had actually played was um and I think they were without Landry Fields in this game because he was hurt they were talking earlier in the series about how uh, Landry Fields had done an okay job on Johnson, and obviously he wasn't available. Otherwise, he would have played, I'm sure, at some point. Um, and so, yeah, th- like there, there was no easy lineup to put in. Like there was no Tyler Hansbro in this game. I don't know if he was hurt or not, but I feel like he would have been a better <laughs> option even than Steve Novak. I know they were trying to get shooting on the floor, but like Psycho T wasn't terrible, and I believe started a game in this series. I think he started Game Seven. Now that I think about it, um, so maybe he could have played. And also, I know Terrence Ross wasn't good in his 13 minutes, but maybe you put him in instead of Steve Novak or John Sammons to get some shooting. I don't know. Just an idea. A wonderful right. shooter. The, the wettest jump shot in Raptors history. Maybe. Just a suggestion, but that's fine. Um, yeah, the, uh, the options were... He tried everything at that point, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, he took off the headband. He, he was, like, <laughs> talking to himself. And we, we saw him try everything possible. Yeah, he was not uh, great in this one, unfortunately, and it hurt my soul to see it. Um, And maybe you just play Patterson more. I mean, we know Dwayne Casey was no stranger to playing Patrick Patterson like 18 minutes straight, so I I don't know why this game should have been any different. Um, He only played 32 (laughs) total minutes. It was, uh, I would say, Patterson was a guy... So for some reason, I had it in my brain that Patterson hit like a big shot in this game. He did not. He was fine. He had nine points, nine boards, and was you know there a lot, played crunch time and all that. But um, I, I, I mean, the, the three he hit from the corner was very, very, very. That's it the true. Or, yeah, it, it was that like was a, a big one that, that pulled yeah. them within one. Yes, um, it was part of that sort of fourteen-two closing run to, that they had to the game. For some reason, I had that game winner he hit like in a regular season game against Brooklyn, um, like uh, like the mid ranger in my brain, even though that's not the game at all. Um, so I was expecting that for a lot of it. Then I realized, oh no no no, this is a much different game than that one. But either way, um, yeah, he he hit that big three. It made it seventy seven seventy six with six minutes left, and this kind of kicks off the closing stretch for the Raptors, which is part great defense, part the Raptors just bricking everything they get. And the Raptors closed the game, I believe, on a 16-2 run. And the the Nets don't score a point after the five-minute mark, or after the four-minute mark of the game. They score one basket after the six-minute mark. And it's, uh, again, a mix of the Raptors doing a pretty good job to get the ball to Joe Johnson's hands and forcing it to other guys' hands. But it's also like Sean Livingston missing a wide-open layup and a couple guys missing wide-open threes. Um, what did you think of the closing stretch for this game? Because there's a lot of pretty interesting flashpoint moments. There's a Jim San uh, cameo uh, as he's in, on the back bench for the Nets. Uh, that was in there too, <laughs> as I'm looking at my notes here. But uh, on the court, it was uh, it, there's a lot that took place in here. Oh yeah, I mean, I I, I thought you know as as is par for the course, uh, Lowry provided the turning point. I mean the the and one that he had followed by uh, the three pointer. I thought. Those were big moments, um, and then 
you know, I think I think the biggest thing is the Raptors sort of just didn't relent. It was like you saw that intensity of a team that realized like they absolutely had to win this game. Um, and and then uh, yeah, again, I, I you, the most unlikely of unlikely of plays you, you see Demar sort of draw, drawing two offensive fouls. Um, and then what, what I thought was interesting was the double teaming on Joe Johnson, right? Because it was low key shade at Paul Pierce because it was like, hey, <laughs> we'll, we'll double Joe Johnson and then we'll recover to Pierce and we'll, we'll take, you know, we're okay with uh, Paul Pierce beating us. And um, I thought Amir Johnson did a really good job on him uh, whenever, uh, you know, the, the Nets weren't able to get the switch. Uh, and so. Uh, yeah, I think the defense ultimately was the big difference with the double teaming Joe Johnson, making sure that he couldn't beat them, and then living with whatever Paul Pierce did. Yeah, I, I was particularly satisfied by a couple minute stretch in this game where Paul Pierce like wets himself on national TV. He had one uh, like mid range shot from the baseline that just went right off the side of the backboard. Uh, a couple possessions later. There's like a bad turnover by the Raptors, and it goes the other way. And Paul Pierce has it in the wide open court, and Lowry just hunts him down, pokes it free on five fouls. Pierce complains for a call, but it was like absolutely clean, and they go back and score off of that. And then Amir Johnson takes a charge against Pierce, uh, like a couple possessions after that. And it's just, it was so wonderful to see Paul Pierce melt down in a game where he was probably the best player on the floor for the Nets. He had 22 um, on like 9 of 14, but. He uh, really gave it away in that final stretch, and it was uh, beautiful to see. Uh, you, you love to see it, as they say. Um, Lowry, it should be noted, yes, there were times in this game where the Raptors looked like crap. It rarely took place when Lowry was on the floor. In the first quarter, he was just kind of demand, like just dictating everything, and he was so clearly the best player on the floor for either of these teams, I think. Uh, like he just He had his pulse in the game in the first. He was setting dudes up, and then... In the fourth quarter, he just kind of decides, okay, I'm winning this game now. And it was like almost like a mini version of a Kyle Lowry FU performance. He didn't score 30-plus or anything like that. Wasn't bombing threes with reckless abandon. But he was dictating the pace. He, you know, when the ball was in his hands, the pick-and-roll game was working, you know, properly. And, you know, they were getting through. They weren't really sending traps his way, which was interesting. Um, You know, he was finding guys for wide-open threes. Some of them were bricks. Some of them weren't. And he scored, I think, like seven or eight points in the final stretch of the game, too. Finished with 22, 4, and 2, and was a plus 14. And yes, plus minus is not everything, but I think the plus 14 is extremely telling for him. It was the team best mark, and he was just excellent. And I don't know, man. Watching Lowry dominate the Nets like this and watching the Nets play, it is very perplexing to me that the Raptors could not win this series in like five or six. This Nets team sucks. (laughs) They're old they're slow they're like i don't think it's a stretch to say that their most explosive off the bounce guy in this game at least and maybe at at this time is alan anderson like he has a couple of blow buys where it's like oh crap he was fast there no one else in the team has that kind of pop it's all just like slow ass isos from joe johnson and paul pierce it's kevin garnett who's just extremely old and only able to play half the game darren williams was awful in this game like this team is ass, and the Raptors lost to them. So maybe the Raptors were ass, too. Maybe that's the overarching takeaway here is that both of these teams kind of sucked. Yeah, I mean, I think with the Raptors, you know, again, when you have the type of depth that has you starting Salmons, Vasquez, DeMar, Steve Novak, and Chuck Hayes in <laughs> uh, the fourth quarter, that should probably be indicative of that. Um, but, yeah, I think with the Nets as well, it's crazy to say this, but... They literally won this series off of, you know, sort of experience and know-how and um, sort of just understanding how the, the a playoff series goes. And, uh, you know, I even think back to Jason Kidd sort of setting up the refs going into Game 7, you know, talking about the calls and all that type of stuff um, so that he knew that, you know, sure, I'll take a fine, but... Uh, it probably changes those 50-50 calls a little bit. Um, and so I think just little things like that, the gamesmanship uh, that you sort of maybe have to experience uh, at least once before you're able to do it yourself and understand those things, uh, I think that really showed in this series. And, yeah, I mean, frankly, the Raptors should have won this series, especially when you look at the fact that, 
you know, they looked like they had figured the Nets out when they, when they won game five. And, yeah. you know, at that point, they had won three out of four in the series. And you're saying, okay, now you just got to get one out of two. Um, they really should have been able to take care of business, and they didn't. Yeah, totally. Um, what? Any last sort of thoughts on this game? For me, the thing that really stands out is that, and I think I've been converted over the last two days, yesterday with Freddie Rivas when we talked about Game 5 against the Knicks, that also was an insanely luggy, lu- ugly, low pace, uh, and like frankly bad basketball game. I think I kind of miss bad basketball, dude. I, I I think shitty basketball is actually the better form of basketball because it's tense as hell. I found myself just, like, gripped by this, like, disgusting basketball game late because every possession means something. Every, you know, defensive stop feels, like, important. Every bucket feels extra important. I was kind of getting this watching the uh, the Game 7 of the Celtics and Lakers in 2010 that was on TV last week as well, where it's, like, 55-51 at the end of the third quarter, and it's like, holy shit, like, this is very, very like nip and tuck and and like grimy it's like close quarters combat almost and the intensity is ridiculous yes it's not pretty at all and yes there the, the ball movement is nice and threes are obviously better than twos if you're trying to win basketball games but something and maybe I'm becoming just an old fart or something but I kind of enjoy this terrible brand of basketball because of the tense sort of nature of its closer moments it, maybe it's not as entertaining for quarters 1 through 3 but the fourth quarters I found in both this game and the next game were uh were tremendous just because of the the stakes that seem attached to every single possession what what about you what do you think of this game overall as a product no I, I I'm with you to an extent in the sense that at the end of the day, in sports, you want to see that type of resistance, right? I mean, for example, when you're watching baseball, it's bat versus ball. And so here uh, in basketball, it's offense versus defense. And it just doesn't feel like defense has as much of a chance. They're always, um, let's, let's just say, you know, it, it almost feels like the offense is kind of handicapped in the way uh, the, the league is set up now with um, what offensive players can get away with. And so, yeah, I would I would like to see things sort of even out a little bit. Um, I would, you know, I think one of the first things I would do if I was commissioner is I would expand the court and I would make the three point uh, arc a proper arc, uh, you yeah. know, where the three, where the corner shot isn't isn't you know a twenty foot jumper. Um, and so, just little things like that, I think, can help the game. Um, you know, defensively, I don't know what rules you look to change. Uh, I think we're obviously in a better place where, uh, you know, you, you're not seeing the ridiculous flagrant fouls of uh, the 90s and uh, 80s and whatnot. But, uh, yeah, I think there, there needs to be a bit more of a balance in the game. Um, the one thing I will say uh, in terms of closing off here, I know you said, uh, did you say uh, mini Lowry um, for a little bit? Yeah. Uh, and it just made me think that if, if Kyle is mini Larry, then uh, Chuck Hayes is definitely big Larry. Like, looking at those <laughs> two on, on the court together, I was like, man, this is like, if Larry was a center, that would be him back then anyway. I really, really miss Fat Lowry, man. I know it's like objectively better <laughs> for his health and his on court play that he's svelte now, but. Like, in the first two minutes of the game, Steve Kerr calls him a fire hydrant, and I know he's been referred to as a fire hydrant in his later years while he's skinnier, but it doesn't quite ring as, as, as accurately as it does when he's this little pudgy dude who's as thick as he is tall. Uh, yeah, I, I, I miss that version of Lowry. <laughs> it's, it was wonderful. Um, but yeah, Chuck Hayes, too. What a guy. It was lovely to see our, our pal Chuck get on the get in the game here, even if he didn't do a whole lot except for rebound. Um, which, what else do you need Chuck Hayes to do? It's fine. In terms of, like, the, the rule changes and stuff, yeah, I wonder if, like, it's almost gotten to the point where you could reintroduce hand-checking to sort of balance out all of the offensive advantages that math has presented, and maybe you sort of offset it that way. I agree. I think they should extend the court and make the three-point shot, like, A, harder to achieve, and B, maybe less something that's so easy to rely on with corner threes being such, like, a cheat code. 
Um, and I, I'm totally yeah. with you there. I, I think the court should have been bigger 10 years ago because guys are faster and, uh, you know, it's, it's almost yeah. dangerous to have it be so small. Um, but yeah, lots of, uh, interesting things that looking back at these old games, which is not that old. It's 2014. It's six years old, but it seems absolutely ancient in this game. The pace in this game, 85, <laughs> Like, just a <laughs> grimy slugfest. A uh, little less punchy and elbowy than the Knicks game was, but this game also did not feature Charles Oakley, so I suppose that's understandable. Um, Big V, any uh, parting shots? Anything you'd like to promote? Any, uh, I don't know, any pieces? You got a great piece on Bianca Andreescu, but anything else? Uh, no, nothing else right now, but yeah, if you haven't if you haven't checked out the Bianca Andreescu uh, piece yet, you can go see that uh, at Complex, and it's pinned to my Twitter profile, so you can find it there as well. You can follow me on Twitter. Besides that, yeah, nothing else going on. Everyone have a good weekend. Yeah, uh, seconded that. Hope you have a wonderful weekend. Hope your uh, Zoom calls with your pals are good and fun. Uh, I, uh, yeah, subscribe to this podcast, do all that stuff. I'll probably be back to Raptors HQ in the next uh, week or so with some stuff I haven't written in quite a while. Honestly, Raptors.com kind of burnt me out, and uh, there was nothing much to write about this past month, so uh, I'm generating some dumb ideas that I'm sure I'll put to paper very soon. Uh, In the meantime, you can subscribe to this podcast, rate, review. Thanks to Built Bar for sponsoring the podcast, as always. Uh, Thanks to uh, Terrence Ross for existing. Thanks to uh, Alvin Williams and Freddie Rivas for coming to the podcast earlier this week. There's something I'm meaning to plug. Oh, yeah, uh, basketball. Go find the podcast. Myself and Katie Heindel. If you like our Raptors-related mailbags and uh, talks about fashion and things like that, when Katie comes on the podcast, you'll certainly love uh, basketball, where we – I keep forgetting there's a question mark on there when I talk about it. But, um, yeah, it's fun. Yesterday we talked about Aaron Gordon's diss track, and we talked about Rasheed Wallace and the stench of Amir Johnson game-worn tearaways. Uh, all the stuff you'd expect Katie and I to talk about, and you can find that on the Stringer Labs Podcast Network, on all your favorite podcast platforms, Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play. Uh, And thank you so much for that. And uh, with that, we'll wrap it up. Go tell your smart speaker to play Locked on Leafs, uh, the episode that I did with Mike DiStefano earlier this week. Also, uh, he had Pat Park, who was the former PR director for the Maple Leafs, on his podcast today, which would be an awesome listen. So go check that out, too. Um, I'm tired of talking. It's the weekend. Have a good one, everybody. We'll talk to you on Monday with another episode of Locked on Raptors. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com podcast. Easier said, done. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.